and it's cynical and manipulative. <laughs> but at least, oh, yes, this is cynical, manipulative for everybody. For everybody, <laughs> ah, we love it. We love it. We're all for uh, inclusive manipulation. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner, and they are our proud sponsors of this. And this is Brews News Week, our regular wrap-up of all that has made news in beer this week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me to take a good, hard look at the views, the news and the issues are the founder and editor of Australian Brews News, Matt Kierkegaard, and ace reporter and senior journalist, Claire Burnett. G'day, guys. All right, Pete. Good morning. Although, uh, Claire, ace reporter, or is she the rookie? Ooh, <laughs> I just, I think How there's so? some, a ne- odd, oh, you didn't see that, oh, did you, you the other week, Pete? Some douchebag on um, Hot Copy, you know, that gossipy ASX site where people talk about all the stock stock market stuff. Um, someone got really annoyed about our coverage of Brew, funnily enough, the other day. And then they were like, oh yeah, we clearly know who wrote this and they've just put it uh, under the byline of a rookie. And I was like, <laughs> excuse me, so eight years of journalism and I'm a rookie, am I? All right. Seven of those specialising in Brew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it sometimes. <laughs> we've, uh, you've certainly, we've certainly made up for it. And yeah, for those who are playing along in their Brews News Bingo, Buzzword tick card, yeah. Bang, oh yeah, that'll right. come up. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> look, it, it's it, it, it is, might come up again later in the uh, in this podcast. It will indeed. It's in the show again. notes, but Sorry. do we really need to? Do you want to? Right. Let, let's no. just do it now. Okay. Bruce threw a shit, getting worse. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Deal. Yeah. Okay. We'll skip that. <laughs> that is the bottom line. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, look, there's been so many words said. Um, interestingly, none of them by Kent Grogan, but um, <laughs> you know, it, it's just I don't know. I don't know. It, it surely, surely it has, like... Shout out to Jane Jackson. Um, there, there must be a spare ventilator that we can... <laughs> Matt, well, sorry. Or is and Brew using up one of the one of the rare ventilators? Parental advisory. <laughs> parental advisory warning. It's one of those, it's, it's the, the toilet's flushed and, you know, the vortex, and it's just refusing to go down the vortex. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Circling uh, the bowl. Matt, keeping Brew. it real. <laughs> Brew is just the obstinate floaty of, um, <laughs> of the beer industry. Right. Can we raise okay. this from the gutter, this yes. conversation, Done. please? 26 <laughs> degrees down here in beautiful, sunny Melbourne. Bloody hell. Yeah, Tropical. If we could go out and do something. In Welcome it. to spring. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. Yeah. It was perfect yesterday, 21, I think, uh, for the first day of spring. and um, But they, they are predicting that. For Melbourne, just yeah, just in case you're um, not having a enjoying the shit show that is Melbourne, uh, Victoria at the moment, um, <laughs> the wettest, uh, nastiest spring on record. But anyway, we'll, we'll enjoy these nice couple of days while we're while we're at it. Absolutely. Uh, shall we get into it? Because there's a bit to do. There is. We shall cross live now to the Australian Brews News Media Centre, where our rookie <laughs> <laughs> rookie reporter, <laughs> cub reporter <laughs> Claire is going to lead us off with. Uh, Feral to close the original Swan Valley Brew Pub. Indeed. Um, so sad news, uh, Western Australia's Feral Brewing Company 
obviously owned by CCA these days, uh, has announced it would be closing its original Swan Valley Brew Pub at the beginning of October, uh, moving its pilot kit to its production brewery in Bassendine. So, yeah, sad news. Not really unexpected. Like, it, Not it, it, unexpected, it, no. I, I think the umbrage about Coca-Cola, you know, closing it, it's, you know, Steve Finney weighed into the comments and made the good point, you know, when was the last time any of the people who are complaining about it closing went there? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing. The, the lease was up. Do you sign up? It's sad. It was the foundation of it, but they've got a big production facility. And, you know, as brands grow, a um, little facility like that mm-hmm. uh, is less and less. And it's still part of the origin story. They still have mm-hmm. the origin story. It's it's now moving on. And realistically, if you had if you any business, if you're running the same thing out of two uh, separate venues and uh, anyway. Yeah, yep. Anyway, it is, look, it, it, it is what it is. It's part of life. That's it. Uh, Claire, our next story, private label boosts Endeavour Group. So, yes, yeah, so um, Endeavour Group, its first financial um, annual financial results as a listed business, uh, Endeavour Group, so that's obviously BWS and Dan Murphy's, it's reported rising sales and earnings and highlighted, interestingly, we thought highlighted the role of the private label business, uh, Pinnacle Drinks. So Pinnacle has developed around 530 new products uh, for the portfolio. That'll be everything from your private label beer that we've discussed on the podcast before um, to uh, mixers and um, spirits and other things that um, Pinnacle take over effectively. So there's lots of ongoing discussions around that in the background um, but it was interesting that Endeavour made a point of pulling Pinnacle out and saying you know this is what's going to help us grow in the future uh, I was on an investor call uh, media call with um, the bosses there Donahue, I believe I think it might be Steve Donahue, uh, and um, it was an interesting one I think he got a lot more verbose about Pinnacle and things like that than was than you could see in the investor presentation itself all the accounts um so somebody made the point like how are you going to continue this growth you know you've obviously seen a really good blip over covid um is that going to be sustainable into the future and that's when he pointed to pinnacle drinks so it was an interesting one for us um to to hear that yeah and as i said in the um facebook group you know i i that would terrify me um if i was a brewery that uh had you know built or expanded my brewery on the basis of ranging at uh, one of the Endeavour Group bottle shops, I'd be sleep. I wouldn't sleep soundly knowing that at any day um, you could be derailed, at at any ranging, you could be deranged. Um, You know, it it takes a huge commitment to get into broader distribution in, in, in these shops and knowing that as soon as any category grows to a certain size, Endeavour is going to create a home brand or a Pinnacle Drinks version of your beer um, to target the fat. You know, they, they, they don't want to pioneer anything. They don't want to cultivate any um, segments. Yeah, as you said before, they haven't had to do the hard work on that one. They don't. You know, they, they rely on, you know, their test bed um, incubators are the small breweries who invest in brands, grow them, see them reach potential that they themselves want to harvest a little bit of... Um, the, the, the cream from that and that's when Pinnacle comes in and goes there's a juicy little market that we're mm-hmm. going to put in there and then just take some of the wind out of the sails mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, again I, I don't say that's so saying they're nasty or evil that's business and that's what their shareholders demand And but that's the you know the, the uncomfortable position that brewers um, occupy 
if, if they go into there. Yeah. Um, it's a little and, bit precarious, isn't it? Mm. And speaking of deranged, revenues fall at brew despite production in... No, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It seems a bit odd to mention these two in the in the same uh, on the same page, but Mighty Craft Claire are bullish despite losses as well. Yeah, so interesting one from Mighty Craft. They've been spent the past couple of years growing, investing, buying businesses. Uh, they mentioned a really interesting uh, logistics network called Craft Hub. Um, that's like its cold store distribution project with Bevchain, and. In fact, actually, this has um, sort of hit them a little bit where it hurts. So um, the challenges that come with developing this logistics network, um, it's apparently costing a lot more than they thought it was going to be. Um, in addition to, obviously, COVID lockdowns um, and apparently the cost of infrastructure, including sales, marketing and management. So that has been a little bit more expensive than they thought it would Um so that has contributed to, I mean, they've done well, don't get me wrong, revenue from ordinary activities uh, for the year to June grew to $29.3 million, up from $9.2 million the year before. So that's a, that's a bloody lot. That's a, it's tripling. Um, but the th- at the same time, uh, they've increased their losses. Uh, so it's a little bit of a double-edged sword on that one. Um, again, one we'll obviously keep an eye on, but interesting to see how their um, investment strategies have been pay- playing out and how that's affecting their bottom line at the end of the day. Um, interesting that they've also gone into much more heavily into spirits and RTDs at the minute rather than beer. Um, when they first started out, it very much seemed like a brewing-focused business, and now they've very much branched out with like Kangaroo Island Distillery and things like that. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how you go. Maybe they need to get into the clear-bottled crisp lager business. Oh, you never it, know. It's, 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 it's where the growth is coming from, <laughs> you know. And, and more of that in below the folders. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Claire, a new brewery is set for the former Grumpy's site. Uh, indeed. So this was a nice little one as well. Um, I was also not around for this one. Do you remember the, when the Grumpy's brew was I, When got I first destroyed. read that headline, I thought there was a brewery growing into Prof's house. But obviously, <laughs> <laughs> um, if only the, I'd yeah, visit. Yeah, I, I never went there. In fact, the, oh. the, one of the times I went uh, sort of past there, like it, it wasn't a brewery that had a, you know, compelling it was a, mm. a, a brewery of local interest one of those places mm-hmm. that if you're there you know you you, yeah. you stop by but um wasn't a major draw card um, at, okay. at the time so um so anyway uh, a couple of um entrepreneurs and cheese makers which obviously i was a huge fan of um saul and sherry sullivan uh they are, were behind other delights you might have seen that big cheese brand that got sold to a Funnily enough, a Japanese company um, four years ago for about $14 million. So this is like their next venture. They're bringing a brewery to the former uh, Grumpy's Brewhouse site, which was destroyed in that fire in 2016. Um, they also got a nice little uh, tourism industry development fund grant uh, from the South Australian government. So a really nice um, growth story. Interesting that these entrepreneurs who have done this and grown a business and sold the business um, over 20 years in a completely different sector um, are like bring taking this on obviously they think it's a, a good opportunity but interestingly um they had exactly the same issues um selling their previous business as a lot of brewers are facing now which sort of caught my eye so they were obviously concerned about scaling up they had to invest millions um and millions to keep the business afloat and growing so that's when they decided that they would like to sell out to a japanese company i was like oh god that sounds familiar um but it, it was a really interesting project and um we'll keep an eye on them and see how they go they're due to open in uh january 2022 i believe all right there we go well um geez that was quick that's the news 
We put a we put a few things that could be news below the fold, so we can just move on. News related. Exactly, yes. All right, well, so for those of you who are new to this podcast, uh, here's the way it goes. We kind of divide it up into two parts. So that's a, a recap of the news in case you didn't uh, have the chance to catch up with it. Uh, now we shall um, bid farewell and adieu uh, to those who need to get back to work or uh, just after a short run today. But if, you've, um, if you want to keep jogging, jog on and listen to this. This is what we call Below the Fold. And we'd like to start below the fold with a little thing we call mailbag. And the mailbag is proudly brought to you with thanks to New Zealand Ale Trail. Head to www.nzaletrail.com or at NZ Ale Trail on social media to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand. Before we do that, uh, don't forget, review us on iTunes or send us in an email, uh, leave a comment on the Facebook page, Radio Brews News um, is the Facebook group. Uh, Feel free to join in the conversation there. And if you do, and we we read out uh, your fine words, then um, slip us a postal address, a good postal address, and then we'll send you thanks to our friends at Thirsty Merchants, a nice little uh, barblade. So subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting app. Because um, as I say, it, it costs nothing, uh, but it does help other beer lovers discover the podcast. Uh, let's start off uh, the mailbag, Claire, with a listener who wrote in last week, Regarding tap contracts, and they'll know who it is so they can send us their uh, contact details, yes. but uh, tap contracts. Yes, indeed. So our unnamed correspondent uh, wrote in saying, my current employer has signed a tap contract with one of the big boys. Um, that will last over a decade. Uh, it requires a high percentage of taps, uh, around 9 out of 12 kegs from that com- uh, from that company. So he's gone really nicely through the pros and cons. Um, he says, as I understand it, a sizable chunk of cash at signing went to refurbishment of the venue, which was much needed. Um, they get a dollar f- figure per litre in rebates, um, a lower dollar per figure towards a promotional fund, which can be spent on stuff like branded stuff umbrellas etc um access to a large portfolio uh national support and advertising uh when promotions are launched the cons the price uh even with a 50 dollar rebate per keg which is not the correct figure he points out all kegs are still very exy many independent brands of a pilsner lager or pale ale around the 220 dollar mark around 100 dollars cheaper than the craft and mainstream big boy options um variety is also as both a pro and a con. Admittedly, it's the best it's ever been with both having acquired some great brands, um, but access to limited releases is just that limited. Um, he says, selfish one here, but fun. I love trying new things, taking to the, talking to the patrons about them and being able to support exciting new breweries and businesses. Uh, in summation, if I could have a tap contract where I receive the same benefits and only have to have a small portion of my taps accounted for, I most definitely would. I see the benefits... Um, especially in country Victoria where craft beer sometimes isn't a thing, but feel the cost is greater than reward, making a quick buck up front to the cost of variety, profit, and potentially customers later. If one or the other, when I start my own bar and I'm working on it, uh, no contracts will be signed. Interesting. Uh, anyway, I'll get off my soapbox out, run over. Um, interesting. Thanks, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really interesting and fair point. We often look at it from whether it's fair to the brewer. Obviously, we don't a venue doesn't necessarily care whether it's fair to the brewer as long as their venue is getting what it needs at that time um and some definite considerations uh to take into account when you're looking at tap contracts for venues but yeah i think well as as we've covered before we've seen them far less uh in terms of like not being as uh staunch you're not having 
all of your taps being that one brewery they often let you open up a couple um I think they realize now that you can't make those kind of draconian terms um as part of the contract but you never know there'll still be some hanging around as he says in lots of places where craft beer isn't as available you know the only option is that that tap contract so what are you going to do you're just going to take it and why wouldn't you if you're going to get those benefits as well Although increasingly those country outlets uh, are better served now by mm. local and regional breweries. So exactly. nine out of 12 taps, that's, uh, that's and 10 lot. years. 10 years uh, is really uh, look, long. I, I, I can hear the uh, the usual suspects, the the, um, the measured voices of, of uh, certain correspondents that, uh, that we touch on quite regularly, uh, knocking all of those pros. Because uh, realistically, if you if you can make more, selling you know, if you can buy a keg cheaper and because it's hashtag craft you can then ask 50 cents a dollar whatever a schooner more then you you'll still, you'll get the money to do that refurbishment yeah you just don't get it up front but people so, don't work like that do they they very much work short termism like oh i'm getting it now rather than in 5 years and that's you know would you rather i gave you a $1000 bonus you know today or would you like $20 a week um, in, in your pay um, ends up being the same, you know, and, and, and that's the way it works. You know, like you get the lump sum, but it's also when you speak to, uh, you know, the, the better rebates go to the, the, the larger groups and, you know, pub A, pub B, pub C, who are part of the group, they don't get the individual rebates. The rebates often go to the head office and, you know, that just goes straight into the bottom yeah. line. And this is the thing that does my head in about contracts. It, you know, as we've talked about it at, at Nauseam, it is a mutually beneficial a- agreement um, to a point. But when you start, um, you know, the, the, the elements of the TAP contract that I can't understand fits within, um, you know, competition law is when on one hand, the Brewers Association has been on record saying, craft beer is more expensive and yet their list price for a keg of beer from a, ma- a major brewer is $100, $150 more than the list price for a small brewer. But then you get $120 back um, in rebates. That to me isn't honest. Like it's not fair dealing, particularly when the consumer is end- ending up not getting the benefit of that rebate because it goes to the head office and it, it doesn't pass through to pricing and if you walk into you know uh, buy a a schooner of stone and wood um, or a schooner of uh, little creatures or a schooner of another craft beer they tend to be the same price um, which shows that consumers are the ones who are getting screwed and you know publicans they can make the decision you know well I I can save more money on a per keg basis if I buy from from this brewer Um, but then you know Great Northern um, is is a juggernaut in the industry, and if a keg of Great Northern, if you don't have an agreement with the CUB, and that keg of Great Northern costs you significantly more, and it's your biggest seller, and the only way you can get it cheaper is to sign a contract, then you know that's the sort of pressure that venues are on. Um, anyway, um, it, it, it's worked out for a lot of craft brewers. Um, you know, the desire for publicans to have variety uh, in the form of, you know, Bolter, um, you know, uh, Bolter Pirate Life. Um, who else is CB bought? Um, Bolter Pirate Life. Four Pines. Oh, Four Pines, Mountain Goat now. Um, you, you know, 
that's green bacon. Green bacon. Yeah. That's what saw those breweries purchased, not the volumes that they were going to achieve, but it lets CUB or Asahi or Lion offer. Well, not only do you have these, you've got. Not only do you have these, you know, traditional beers or these new beers that we've developed, you've got these craft brands that um, drinkers love, um, and so you can have. Uh, I think it was Phil Cook called it the Potemkin Village, um, which was that, um, you know, the, the movie set um, created next to the train line. So when the Tsar drove past, you know, it was on the train, it looked like he he wasn't in charge of this huge he was expanse. living in a prosperous yeah, community with, with all loads of these of food towns, in the but they were just facades. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but it, it gives publicans the appearance of choice for their for their drinkers. Drinkers don't, and if drinkers. Don't say, look, get this on or get this on. Um, you know, it, it's just not going to change. So, yeah, tap contracts, very, very complicated. Um, but I, I just can't believe that the ACCC doesn't. And, and again, when I asked them about um, what I described as artificial discounts, um, which is what the, – the only thing that you can say is that the, the, the published wholesale prices of major brewers' beers are – grossly inflated mm-hmm. to give an artificial discount. The ACCC uh, said, generally speaking, businesses are free to set their own prices as long as they do so uh, independent of their competitors and don't mislead those that mm-hmm. are selling that their goods. That cartel stuff they don't yeah, like. Yeah, um, and services to uh, about discounts and savings. Uh, whether or not the Australian competition law concerns arise will depend on the facts and overall impression created by the conduct. Um, a discount offered by a seller on condition that the buyer does not purchase goods from the seller's competitor may constitute ex- exclusive dealing. And this is where we have seen mm. um, contracts you know, ex- that exclude stone and wood, for example. Um, such exclusive dealing may breach competition law if it materially undermines a competitor's ability to compete and restricts a business from being able to respond uh, to consumer demand. Well, if that... That's exactly what the Stone and Wood Clause is, surely. Well, and and this is where it comes down to specific facts, and you know, it, it, the more you look at it, the more yeah. it, you know, it's trying to yeah. look at a cloud. You know, That's it. from a distance, a cloud is a cloud, mm-hmm. but as you get closer and closer, it it's got lots of different parts. Yeah, um, and also, I guess, accessibility to all these contracts and stuff, they hold them really close to their chest. Like, I we've seen a few, but they don't give them out freely. I'm pretty sure the ACCC would have the power to get them though. So yeah, but they'd have to know which one to specifically ask to be able to and find well, that Danny evidence. Surveyed twenty six or forty yeah. publicans oh, when yeah, they did their yeah. thing. It was only a very small tiny, number. Tiny, tiny little so. number. So mm. yeah. anyway, we'll see. we'll see. But it's it's always interesting. Thank you, mystery correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now another one in the uh, ticker box series. Uh, comment <laughs> from the Facebook group regarding uh, fetal alcohol. Now, what's FASD? Uh, uh, fetal, fetal alcohol, alcohol syndrome, syndrome disorder. Spectrum, 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 spectrum disorder. Spectrum disorder. That's not. And, and again, we won't name the, the, the correspondent, um, but it was an interesting insight that they had. Mm-hmm. Yes, so he says, uh, was at a research symposium today and heard a presentation by a researcher from the National Drug Research Institute. He was talking about FASD and referenced the $25 million given to FAIR, that was last year, uh, to deliver an education campaign on the spectrum disorder and drinking during pregnancy the researcher then pitched a project to look at the rate of FASD because there is no data on prevalence (laughs) funnily enough as a researcher I'm amazed FAIR has managed to get such a large amount of money to educate people about a problem that we have no information about um, how widespread it is in my area we would always 
first understand the size of the problem so we could then come up with cost-effective solutions. Funnily, punching uh, enough. Look, oh. This is my thing. Um, you know, as we found out recently, we're sort of under the gaze of fair ourselves, mm-hmm. um, as, as are other um, news sites. And education about alcohol, absolutely. And if, if fair wants to be a lobby group, you know, they want to be the Alcohol Reform League, mm-hmm. call yourself that. Yeah. This Trojan horse name that we are for research and education when they're actually a lobby group against something, mm-hmm. that's actually misleading. And when and, and, and this is a classic example. Fast um, is an incredibly potentially um, uh, important topic. But they ran this campaign and getting all sorts of uh, you know soft media where they seemed like the independent group about um, you know educating for for this thing mm-hmm. there is no data about it there's yeah. no data about the prevalence and now that they've got 25 millions to educate about it mm-hmm. they're going to use some of that to get the data um, around and, yeah. and to, to me this is like it's it's, it's dishonest yeah. and when they talk about um, the the alcohol lobby mm-hmm. you know, if CUB comes out, or the alcohol, um, you know, or the Brewers Association, or the Australian Alcohol ABA, ABA Alcohol Beverages Beverage Association, if they come out and say something, anyone who looks at that is automatically going to go, "Well, they have a vested interest in the thing they're saying. I will mm-hmm. critically analyse that." Fair comes out with you know looking like this independent, unbiased, which is how they pre- uh, present themselves. And they avoid scrutiny for what their, you know, for, for their lack of data or what their agenda is because they try and present it that they don't actually have an agenda, but they've got a very, very strong agenda. Yeah, um, so, anyway. Yeah, and it, it does upset me. From the perspective of a, of a woman, I think this is f***ing horrifying. Why are you, why are these Cover people? your ears, children. Sorry. Auntie Claire <laughs> swore. I'm, I'm furious about the whole thing. <laughs> why are these people who have no accountability, no checks and balances on them, allowed to dictate to women what we can and can't do with our bodies, number one? Fair enough. The obvious answer is women who are pregnant shouldn't drink. Are they dictating, drink. though? They are. They're saying you shouldn't drink when you're pregnant. You Women drink. They're the same people that, like, who? Well, saying that um, you women should. You should you? Can you just hold on a <laughs> tick? Sorry. Um, Sorry this, is <laughs> this is the same agenda that's saying that women of childbearing age, so 15 to, like, 45 or whatever, should not be able to drink. This is the same people that think that it's acceptable to dictate to people what to do and when to do it and how to do it. That wider thing is what's bothering me about this. Obviously, women shouldn't be drinking while they're pregnant, duh, but that's the problem. But that, because, yeah, sorry, yeah. So, so the issue, and it was something that we talked about, I don't think we talked about on mic. um, No, we didn't. We talked about it in the office, and Claire was ropeable that there was a recommendation that women of childbearing age shouldn't drink alcohol, Mm -hmm. which is the the World Health Organization. That's the thing. So, you know, I I, I can't. It's just part part of a wider, worrying trend about this and then to have someone like fair who is so without balance being involved in something like this that's which what again call yourself the alcohol reform league yeah um, and be honest be what you are be, be honest that you are um lobbying so at least people can go okay well they've got an agenda they're not this impartial you know and, oh, yeah. and, and they're lobbying for funding you know like their business is lobbying for funding yeah. to do it so that they need to 
like perpetuate their existence by creating problems and pointing out problems and saying they can do something about it and then not doing anything but creating some shiny marketing materials they're a marketing company that's what they are that's all they're good at There's no <laughs> research and, and you get 25 million dollars for something and <sighs> th- sorry this is the alcohol research body yeah. they have 25 million dollars and then they go Maybe we should spend some of that on finding out if there is a problem <laughs> or how wide the problem <laughs> is. Funnily enough. Yeah. No, not just saying this is a problem, ex- everybody accepts it's a problem. What kind of a problem? What's anyway. the scale of the problem? What's I'd, the issues here? Yeah. Anyway, we're um, there. Yeah. Good, good, good science always works backwards. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, right. Now, what problem do I want to exist? <laughs> what do I need to prove that it does? <laughs> that sounds so. It's, you're absolutely right, though, Pete. That's exactly anyway. what it is. <laughs> Uh, a comment in the Facebook group uh, regarding the there was quite a bit of conversation regarding uh, the, the conversation with uh, Nick Boots. Um, read the as Matt mentioned before the Stone and Woods new green crisp green coast the three point five percent clear bottle lager. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny actually. Wade made made me laugh as well. This is Wade Curtis on the Facebook group. Um, he says, "Whoa, just listen to the insert with Nick Ari Stonewood and three point five Chris Green goes, dot, dot, dot. I'm so conflicted right now. Dot, dot, dot. I don't know what to think or feel. I love the fact that Stone & Wood are growing uh, the independent beer market and their brand. I love that they have researched the market, listened to customers, and are applying applying great business and marketing strategy. If they were on the ASX, I'd buy shares. Uh, Awesome. Uh, Maybe they will be. uh, Exactly. Uh, But, dot, dot, dot. As someone who started selling craft beer over 10 years ago now, and and now doesn't, um, I definitely know what 2010 Wade would say. 2021 Wade just accepts the market has matured past the old craft ideology. I think this was my... Do you know what? That encapsulates what I thought about it. I was like, great idea, but, ah, there's just some... Do you know? But, and and again, this is... Where I come, you know, if you go back 15 years, mm. craft beer was the, the, the idea of craft beer when it morphed from boutique beer or you know, microbrew beer into craft beer, there was a set of principles that it espoused. Like it was better, it, it was better business, it was better beer, you know, we're going to do things differently, we're, you know, we're not going to be like the, the, the big brewers. Um, and that was that created, you know, th- this idea of a revolution. We're all in this together. We're achieving something. You go forward fifteen years, and you've got supposed, you know, again, I say supposed, not, you know, brewers who are doing very differently to that. Um, you know, they're making seltzer. They're, um, you know, throwing anything that they can just to get a little sugar hit of media attention or sugar hit of um, consumer attention um, and there is nothing off the table. There are no walls around what is craft beer these days. Um, and th- again, that's fine. That's business. That's how you survive. You know, if you've invested in your business and you need to do it, that's fine. But the rhetoric around what we are and what we stand for has to change as well, which was always my criticism of, um, you know, Greg Cook. You know, when Greg Cook was still talking about, you know, you're not worthy and, you know, uh, calling other people out for insidious creep of their marketing or their their things when (laughs) they're a a fizzy lager business these days. Mm -hmm. That's fine if, if, you know, if, if that's how you keep your people employed, just own it, be honest with it. And that's... You know, our post-craft world shirts are celebrating that. It's not criticising it. It's it's where we are. Yeah, that, exactly. I, I look at it, I guess, as in the same way as I look at the other Stone and Wood 
brands, if you like. This I see as quintessentially linked to the deal with the Wallabies. No, what is it? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right. I think, and, and I said this is something that this is something that will sell inside the stadium. Will move volume. It keeps them happy, and it it also then brings perhaps new people over to Stone and Wood, who then discover the original Pacific Ale or the counterculture or the treehouse. Mate, that's side. see. Well, no, see, see, that's the um. That's the narrative that every brewer uses. Like it's the same, you know. It, it, it's it, we we heard the same sort of stuff when brewers started making seltzer. Well, you know, this is a way that we can appeal to people, and hopefully they'll discover, um, you know, it, it, if they drink our seltzer, hopefully they'll discover our craft beers and we'll bring them in as well. And mate, it's so. Do you, do you think Stone and Wood would have come up with a three point five percent clear bottle? crisp Green Coast lager if they didn't have the deal with the Wallabies? I think they had the idea for... Well, I, I, look, I don't know, but I'd be very surprised if they didn't have the idea for the beer and then the Wallaby sponsorship came up and it was the perfect vehicle to build that yeah, around. Yeah, because it, like, it takes a while, doesn't it? You can't just pull it out. Yeah. Look at Stone and Wood's business. Um, Pacific is still the juggernaut. You know, as we know, they... they the, the, very, original Pacific the, the original Pacific Ale. The original Pacific Ale um, is, is, is still their biggest thing. Um and I, I had uh, somebody uh, uh, in the trade talk to me about, you know, people put on other stone and wood beers um, that don't sell as well just to keep Pacific Ale on because for all of the other Pacific Ales, the original Pacific Ale is stone and wood to a lot of consumers. Um, you know, it's not Pacific Ale. It is, could I have a stone and wood, please? And that's how we, we had that. We had that so many times at the Echo. People come up and we'd have we'd have four stone and wood. <laughs> yeah. okay. Can I have a stone and wood? Can I have a stone and wood? Which <laughs> one? Oh, one of you mean there's more? And and that's oh, okay. and, and and that's awesome in one sense. Mm. But you know, the the um, eggs in one basket phrase springs to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need you know you you need other. Um, Eggs, but well, other baskets. Sorry. <laughs> you know. So yeah, and, um, and 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 why shouldn't you know? Again, going back to fifteen years ago when craft beer was a revolution, there was an ethic, there was a an, an idea, an ideology behind it that is out the window these days. Regardless of what anyone says, it's just not that thing that it was fifteen years ago, and that's fine. That's business, but if we are going to jettison those ideas, and we've got rice lagers and we've got you know brewers making low carb and marketing beers as low carb beers and things like that why shouldn't why should the category that is you know over a third of the beer market be off limits to brewers that are looking for survival um there's absolutely no reason for it you know they can if they can still make great pacific ale and they can still make uh great uh um, cloud catcher why shouldn't they also be playing in in, in this space I'm going to reserve judgment until I've tried one, I think. I've not tried one yet. But, but it's not for you. That's the thing. If you don't like it, it's yeah. not for you. If yeah, it's well exactly. made, then yeah. it's not for you. So, um, just to go back to my point about this idea of, well, you know, if if, if somebody... They, they've come out and said not everyone likes... You know, Nick was really good. Um, I thought found a really insightful interview um, with Nick. And, you know, he said not everyone wants to drink Pacific Ale. Not everyone wants to drink a Green Coast Lager. We want a beer for them. And that is spot on. But this idea that then I, I think some craft brewers particularly, oh, you know, if we make a seltzer, we're going to bring people across to our craft. No, you're not. That's the point. 
craft beer isn't for everyone, you know. Uh, and um, Peter Philp uh, said it, you know, there is an independent beer for everyone, there's not a craft beer for everyone. And, you know, that's to some extent a surrender flag for that idea of full of flavoured beers, not, not for everyone. But where, where I have a bit of a problem is, you know, the people who go around saying, oh, the rising tide lifts all boats. But, you know, we're seeing lots of boats being built and, you know, not bringing in the tide. And then they go, oh, you know, maybe not everyone wants to sail a boat. Some people like skiing. So I'm going to build from my boat shed a ski lift up to that mountain there so they can ski. Because after all, skiing's a water sport, um, you know. It, it's it's a different thing, you know. You're not in the sailing business anymore. You're in, you know, if you're making seltzer, if you're making alcoholic kombucha, um, if yes, they're drinks in the same way that sports are sports. But yep. you stretched right, well, that metaphor far. Haven't I stretched it? Very impressed. Skiing <laughs> skiing isn't a water sport. <laughs> If you happen to be a brewer who has put all your eggs in one basket and you'd like to get different <laughs> baskets, you'll want to work out a way of labelling those baskets so that people know what's in them. Rowling's label stickers and packaging are able to supply not just labels for your cans or your bottles or your egg cartons or baskets to put eggs in, but they can also supply printed blank cartons, can trays, tap decals, barcodes, shrink sleeves. Um, and the shrink sleeves, by the way, they're applied to empty beer cans ready for filling. Uh, they come to your door, pelletised, ready to fill, nothing more to do, except pick up the phone and dial these numbers in the correct order, which I'm about to read out from memory. one 800 to discuss further. Oh, good one. Gold standard and seamless. Now, I'm back Very to the bottom impressive. of the page. Uh, <laughs> what, else, what else we got? Uh, speak, yeah. That's something we don't often talk about on this uh, <laughs> Well, it jumped out to us because, and to me, funnily enough, because it said Coca-Cola Australia, we got this media release saying Coca-Cola Australia enters alcohol market with Topa Chico hard seltzer. Topa Chico, little R, trademark sign oh, as well. Oh, God, I hate it so when they have it. to do it, but it's obnoxious, it is. It is. Okay, so I don't think they've entered the alcohol market. Surely owning feral means that they're already in it, no? Um... Is that a different? Australian beer company might have something to say about that. Uh, it <laughs> oh, is, yeah, an Australian beer yeah, company. Yeah, Coca-Cola. Yeah. It Whatever. Is, yeah. Anyway. Um, no, but this is Coca-Cola versus Coca-Cola Amatil, which is the arm of Coca-Cola. Ah, yes. Okay. We do know they have a bajillion different arms. Yes, that's true. Um, interesting, just on account of they are two years at least late to this party, um, literally nothing about it is individual at all from what I could read from no, the press but it's, <laughs> it, it's some it's a soda water from yeah. Mexico um, that they've just thrown alcohol in now again this is another thing that you know craft brewers who are now playing in the seltzer you know you are all responsible for this as much as you know th- there is no differentiation between um, you know Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. uh, White Claw, um, the dodgy kombucha that I'm going to come to, or, or this, because, you know, they're saying hard seltzer will be available, uh, no, sorry, it's 104 calories per can, which incidentally is around about 450 calories per can. Still a lot. That's loads. Yeah. That's <laughs> a gluten-free. Yeah, see, unlike you say, all the dog whistle to it being healthy, but gluten-free, no artificial sweeteners. What sugar's are you trying not to tell an me? artificial sweetener. <laughs> it could be chocked full of sugar. <laughs> and I always say this because my mum loves no sugar Diet Coke. 
uh, and I'm like, Mum, that's not better for you. That's just <laughs> well, as bad. I, so, so, okay, so, and this is marketing for you. Mm-hmm. So, this conceivably, full of sugar. Yeah. Because sugar's not an artificial sweetener. Yeah, it's got no artificial sweetener. But then, we're going to chuck, the same company, Coca-Cola, is going to throw shitloads of artificial sweeteners into something and go, no sugar, as if that's a thing. And again, as consumers, we are idiots because we fall for it. We believe it. Um, believe it. And which brings me, again, I'm just going to sort of pivot to my next... uh, Oh, yes, please down the bottom, yeah. Saint and Sinner, an alcoholic kombucha handcrafted and brewed in Australia. It's today <laughs> launched to market, offering Australian drinkers a more health-conscious drink option, which is low sugar and gut-friendly. Oh, didn't get A back on that one, did they? Um, so gut-friendly. Now, what is gut-friendly, you may ask? <laughs> doesn't say. It doesn't. In fact, but it's kombucha. It's so kombucha, kombucha the, the, the fact that... It's supposed to be good, isn't it, for your gut? I don't know. Okay, uh, kombucha <laughs> has probiotics. Yeah. Alcohol like kills probiotics. In certain, you, there, yeah, there is yeah, a whole yeah, lot of yeah. debate about where it is. But alcohol isn't gut friendly. I hate to break this to you, listeners, as lovers, people who enjoy alcohol at some level, alcohol is messing with your gut biome, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the reasons why you shouldn't drink every day and all of the recommendations yes. are around In that. Moderation. So th- we've got a product that is supposedly gut-friendly, but it has alcohol in. Um, I love that it manages to tick so many different boxes. It says organic, vegan, gluten-free, low in sugar, free from preservatives. <laughs> free, and, and, uh, so I'm sorry, it's not free tick, from preservatives. Tick, 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 alcohol, as I had to point out to somebody this week, alcohol is a preservative. preservative correct. Um, and then it also compares itself. So not only is it saying all these things about itself, it also skewers every other person in the RTD sector down the bottom. With many ready-to-drink options having up to 8 grams of sugar per 100 milliliters, King Bag with a few drinks on the weekend can be a calorie and sugar-laden trap. <laughs> there but, you go, everyone. And I'm sorry, but that's there is just a ridiculous nuclear arms race of who is the healthiest shit product. <laughs> um, and but it, it's alcohol. You cannot end now just... Jumping on that, another media release we got. Uh, oh, I just even one. ignored it because it wasn't quite as bad. Perth-based functional beverage because it's a functional beverage. Well, alcohol, anything with alcohol is a functional beverage. It How gets you functionally function. pissed. <laughs> That's not Sometimes something we not celebrate. <laughs> you know, um, a functional beverage company uh, with its new altered cultures range. Well, uh, that's a, and that's another an altered cultures. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, where is it? What is it? But it, it, everything, it doesn't matter how low in alcohol, how low in sugar and how functional beverage is, if it still has a great taste. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, but anyway. We got annoyed about it. We've just had oh, loads of them recently as well. But when we, we, we're getting, again, you know, and going back to my chat with um, Peter Phil, you know, when we talked about uh, the, the, the way we'd sell to, he dropped in. It's healthier for you. And it's. Sorry, yeah, look, and I had to pull him up on it. It's not healthier, but it's just amazing how these marketing terms. Um, alcohol, anything with alcohol in it at the levels that we actually enjoy consuming, not healthy for you. Yeah. and that's May not be bad for you. Um, you know, exactly. it, it, and that's it, what you accept when you drink it. It's and not you a health shouldn't drink. be told or think that it is any better. It's not. And anybody who plays in that space, you are contributing to that sort of nonsense. And also, you're, you're drawing attention to the anti-alcohol lobby. You're drawing attention to government um, legislators, your you know, health watchdogs, um, 
labelling yeah. bodies. And I wonder if any, and we've mentioned it before and probably on the podcast, but have any of these PR, do they know anything about the regulations around marketing alcohol? I don't think they, they do. They don't. They have that's no a, idea. That's what I'm calling for. Less regulation for the brewers, mm-hmm. more regulation for the people who do the public relations. Because yes. currently there's none. They can say anything. Yeah. Exactly. As we found and out like with Oh, God, exactly. And an in-house marketer is much more likely to know these issues and understand these issues than bringing in an outside PR company as well. I think sometimes it's easier to, if you've only just got one thing to promote, and you're like, oh, well, there's no point in getting in a marketing person or a PR person. But then you bring in an outside company who might be a good food and drink beverage or whatever but they haven't necessarily worked with alcohol and don't realize that there are so many rules and regulations around them and there's no accountability that's and the there's thing no there's accountability no accountability at all um no. you know because as we, as we saw you know um the defense that ABAC was presented was oh, it was our advertising out of our control, agent, yeah, yeah, of our we, control. Nothing, we didn't know anything about it um, and so like the Irene Falcon not knowing that what was going out? Uh, and you're a bit like not not the. That's a little bit negligent. Not, not reading your well, no, yeah. it, like if you're not even going to take responsibility for what your PR people yeah. say. Um, but the book at the end of the day stops with the producer because they're the one that's going to get bollocked for it. That's but the PR and marketing company isn't going to get. But that's the thing. It's it, it. there's this grey area. Um, as you said, if 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 CUB's PR person sends us a media release. Mm-hmm. They're accountable for that and the email that goes out with it. If the mm-hmm. PR, oh well, we didn't know that they sent that in the email. And yeah. as we know, we get we'll get a media release, but then the PR person will add a little bit of pixie dust or yeah. sugar or yeah. GST to it to and the uh, intro email to, to try yeah. and really pique your interest. Yeah. Happy Friday, everybody! Oh, um, <laughs> anyway. I think I, I think we've given everybody a bit of a, <laughs> a, an insight into what we've been talking about in the Bruce News offices this week. <laughs> Um, but we've also got some. Oh, do you want to talk Great Northern on the Father's Day thing? Uh, I was yeah, sure let's, about let's that. Let's talk one. about that because again, we, we we shared it. Like it was just a media release that we put up. Um, we talked about it last Father's Day because there was the principal ballet dancer mm-hmm. um, for the Australian Ballet and his dad, mm-hmm. and it, it, you know, again, like Beer Matt two thousand and five is shaking his head and rolling in his grave <laughs> because he is dead and buried, let's face it, um, looking at Beer Matt 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at the marketing that Great Northern is coming out with and it's not a little sugar hit of just hype or anything like that. They've created this ad that is cinematic. It doesn't really talk about the beer, but it completely repositions the brand away from the, you know, Pete. What, what's uh, the the old four blokes around a campfire with the dog mm-hmm. on the treadmill, failing to build a boat, failing to build a boat. <laughs> you know, and, and you look at the Great Northern ads these days that are, at, at least to a middle aged white man, you know, very inclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a young woman talking about her dad and her relationship with the dad doesn't even really reference the product but it's an it's an ad for great northern and you know in 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 terms of what it says about beer um and inclusivity and changing that perception of beer um in in a really positive way for the category yeah and that i think that's what i liked about it is it that it was like a bit more like, it's okay to be emotional and talk and stuff. You don't have to just pretend you're all fine and, yeah. you know. Oh, good. And it's you know? like, it, it, like any good um, t- 
television commercial, it's emotionally manipulative. Oh, I know. And but it's an I equal opportunity. This, like, it's not just playing the block. Yeah, both, all of us can be totally drawn in by this bullshit marketing. But the, I had the same thing as well, and I don't know whether it's because of lockdown, but I've just been feeling just much more emotional. And I watched the Qantas advert when everyone was on the plane and they were going, oh, just, it was too I still much haven't for me. seen that, it but was too again. Much for me. And, and I couldn't handle it. And I, you know what? I'm like, I hate adverts that use emotional manipulation, but they all do. It's, they all do on some level. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's cynical and manipulative. <laughs> but at least, oh, yes. This is cynical and manipulative <laughs> for everybody. For everybody. <laughs> ah, we love it. We love it. We're good. all for uh, inclusive. Manipulation. Uh, but, but I will say, look, and it, it's one of the things um, that fascinates me about uh, beer marketing is, you know, I, I remember before Great Northern is coming up to 11 years old in October, November. Before oh, wow. that, um, Forex Summer Bright Lager. I wonder when Forex Summer Bright Lager predated it from memory. Oh, and yeah. it was Forex's foray into clear bottled lagers. Um, and I don't know if you remember. They, again, they had this other beautiful ad that was a bunch, you know, Forex was getting old um, and Forex was getting, um, you know, stodgy and it was your dad's beer and they they brought out a clear bottled Corona knockoff um, and the advertising for it was a bunch of young people, you know, pretty young things, the people that, you know, 20-somethings aspire to be partying on a rooftop with bottles strung from a clothesline on this beachside rooftop and it was late afternoon sunset and it was again cinematic and beautiful a really really inclusive ad um well ahead of its time but forex bright just didn't go anywhere and in a in a way it was hamstrung because i think at the timeline was also distributing corona um, or they 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 launched it to knock off corona when cb had corona and then SAB mill or you know, it was one of those yeah, changes and then they swapped yeah. and so they got Corona and they had to you know Corona was six percent of the market or whatever it was and so they had to take the foot off the summer bright lager accelerator who knows but it was you know when you look now at Great Northern potentially it was this great um, opportunity lost for Forex um, and, and actually I'll and another anonymous correspondent. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, thank you to all of our anonymous correspondents. Um, incidentally, um, we do love you. Um, certainly saves us on having to send out. Oh, it certainly saves us doing any work. Um, <laughs> I do. I've just found uh, Matt's review of Forex Summer Bright from January 2010. Oh, wow, okay. Um, which is an interesting one. It ends with, if it's designed to knock Corona off its pedestal, it does a good job. If I had a choice between the two, I would certainly go for the fresher locally made one, though I would hope for a wider choice on offer. <laughs> there we go. Matt predicted it. Your crystal ball was working 11 years ago. Very, very measured, very moderate. Very impressive. Um, unlike some of the uh, <laughs> other things I wrote around the time. <laughs> But, yeah, but that was it, so 2011. Uh, um, but anyway, um, and talking about the Forex brand, um, mystery correspondent regarding Stone and Wood's latest uh, news, Green Coast Beer. Randomly on Wednesday, I did a paid focus group on beer. I tried four beers across various glass can bottles, green, clear, brown, had tasks to complete, writing, drawing, uh, blah, blah, blah. We were very marketing, branding focused, but for two hours weren't told what it was we were drinking. Turns out we were all uh, drinking Forex Gold. Um, and all the mm-hmm. beers were Forex Gold. Whole thing was about them trying to make take on indie beer, trying to figure out how to be cooler. 
how to tap more into Great Northern, continued rise threat of Great Northern in Queensland. So yeah, it was very interesting to see Forex Gold scrambling, trying to play catch-up, especially for North Queensland, where they've lost a lot of territory. And that's the thing. So, you know, in 2010, they had this insight. And it, it's fascinating now that they're drinking the same beer across uh, different things, because one of the, again, one of the really formative discussions I had was, God, it would have been 2007 when I interviewed Bernie Power about... Um, the, the, the launch of powers and back in those days stubbies were stubbies they were short necked grenades mm-hmm. except for corona which was the long necked um, bottle mm. and powers was focus grouping trying to work out what bottle they would put their beer in and pete do you remember the 345 long neck that powers had uh very vaguely i don't think we, we didn't get a lot of powers down here i only had it when i went to you couldn't um, get it up here either, which was part of oh, the yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, but so so they focus group trying the same beer um, across a range of different um, packages, and they settled on the bottle because the focus group thought the beer out of this long necked stubby tasted better, even though it was the same beer they were trying on everything else. And it's that perception that you bring, and that's you know, people can argue about craft or whatever, but. We bring as much to the beers that we drink as the beer drinks to us if we know what we're drinking. Um, and so it was fascinating. So, yeah, it, it, it's really interesting to see that Great Northern is now this juggernaut. Forex tried to bring something out well before, you know, was first to market with something. But then business and marketing and even now they're trying to revitalise the Forex brand that's in decline and Great Northern is through the roof. Also, speaking of Great Northern... And Carlton Mid, actually. Um, that was our other story about um, Optus Stadium and Gage Roads being off the billing, the yes. beer billing, uh, in favour of Carlton Mid and Somebody Great Northern. Somebody posted in Facebook this morning. Yeah, they the posted, it posted it in the Facebook group this morning. But, Matt, you were saying that uh, that was never where it was going to be held. And Gage Roads booted for Perth's grand final on X- 6PR. Um, yeah. So, Gage Roads, which has the porridge rights for Optus Stadium yeah. in And has Perth. done really well and extended the contract very recently for another five years, I think. Yep. And the, the big news, you go, well, is it really news? Because it's not a game that they were contracted for. No one expected them to have the grand final. Mm-hmm. CUB is contracted for whatever their contract is for... for, for, well, for they're the beer sponsor of the, the, of the AFL. AFL. Yeah, of the, the AFL. And contracts got Gage Roads into the stadium. Contracts are taking them out. That's just That's what neutral. That's like. what contracts do. And, yeah. and that's what these brand-in-hand things are about. Would they have to pay compensation to Gage Roads or, or was Why? This because it's a, it's a game that was never anticipated. That had, yeah. Yeah, I reckon that, yeah, I reckon there would have been a clause or something in the contract being like, if something like this comes, then, you know, you it, have it, to, It's a game that wasn't yeah. anticipated, yeah. That's it. Whoever the team is or whoever, whatever the um, game is, that will supersede, the advertiser of that game might supersede the Optus Stadium. I'd Correspondence with inside knowledge who want to get in touch yeah, with us anonymously, know. please let us know about we anything that we've raised. <laughs> <laughs> many things, many things. <laughs> As you can see, we'll respect your confidence. Yes, we've been very good, actually. We get a lot of emails that just never see the light of day where people are obviously just shit-canning somebody else and they just think that we're the people who will, they can send us any bit of dirt and we'll, and we don't. Um, it's knowledgeable, informed correspondents who are you know, mm-hmm. informing us because, as we know, anytime we want to do a story on things like the issue with Pinnacle Drinks and Endeavour Beverages and them having their own home brands, you know, anyone that's had a positive experience will share that positive. Anyone that's ranged with them will say how awesome it is. 
and then as soon as the microphone's off, they'll go, oh, you know, yeah, I, I, I do worry, you know, how, or people go, look, I don't want to be quoted, um, but this is what I think, and the, 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 this is the problem. If you've got a commercial interest, that is in jeopardy. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so for stories like that, it's, uh, it, it's, it's very worrying, and it does inform some of our coverage. So don't forget, we do welcome uh, all of your comments and uh, queries and criticisms and that sort of thing. Anyone who wants to debate that skiing is, in fact, a water sport. <laughs> snow oh, is it? What? Snow. I'm, I'm sorry. Snow is a state. Oh, actually, one of I, I don't want to get in trouble for misrepresenting science. You know, having oh, called so that space. You've now specified that it is actually snow skiing. You said skiing. I, I you know, oh I, no, no, snow skiing. So it's snow. I heard hooves, and I assumed that they were horses, not zebras. So well, I, I well, think, no. Because you're talking about the I talked tide, about the ski lift. So I thought water skiing. No, I talked to. Oh yes, water skiing is a water sport, but snow skiing's not. Thanks very much to Crime Alt, to Rattling's Label Stickers and Packaging, and to our friends at New Zealand Ale Trail and Thirsty Merchants, and to all of you. Uh, Matt, Claire, have a good week. Cheers, B. You too. Uh, and Thanks, Pete. So I, I was just reading, snow is composed of frozen oh, water crystals, but because there is so much air surrounding each of those tiny water crystals crystal. in the snowpack, most of the again? total volume water. of a snow layer is made up of air. We refer to the snow water equivalent of snow as the thickness of water that would result from melting a given layer of snow. So I don't, I, I don't think that takes well, in that case, that, in that case, snow skiing is, a, is, is it, it's, a, um, it, it's, it's as an much, aerosport. It's, it's, it's as a, much it's an aerosport as it is a water sport. <laughs> in the same way that <laughs> seltzer has alcohol, but it's not beer. It's a drink with alcohol, but it's not beer. And on that note, <laughs> drink fresh, drink local, look after yourselves and each other, particularly in these trying times, and wash your damn hands. And we're out. Boom. Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation.